And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drums? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, I am Harmony. And I am Maggie. And we are Rebel Girls Book Club. Today, we are reading Amari and the Knight Brothers by, please hold, B.B. Alston. Yes, and this was B.B. Alston's first novel, right? This is their debut novel? I think so, but I'm not actually 100% sure. I think I read that somewhere. Anyway, Maggie, what are your impressions of this book? I know that you came to it earlier than I did, and I'm actually curious to know how you came to it, because I only know about it because of Library World. I found out about Amari and the Knight Brothers because I watched too much BookTube, and when it first came out, everybody was all over it as basically being, this is one of the best examples of middle grade I've ever read, and a lot of people who read similarly to me in that they typically either read adult or older YA were really loving it. And I needed an audiobook a couple of months ago and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna give Amari and the Night Brothers a shot. And I'm really glad I did because I think that that summary is right. It's a really wonderful example of middle grade done basically as best as it can be. And I think it can be enjoyed by a really wide range of audiences. I completely agree. And I also read this by the audiobook. So you've got two recommendations, listeners. The audiobook is top-notch quality. So I came to Amari and the Night Brothers because I get a lot of people in the library asking for Harry Potter books or books that they they, they don't know what they like. And they're like, but I liked Harry Potter, right? And we kind of have this weird cultural relationship now with Harry Potter because J.K. Rowling continues to put her foot in her mouth <laughs> and share really bad opinions and views. But as a library worker, right, there is this great relationship that young people of all sorts have to that series because I think that it just makes reading really fun and exciting for them. And maybe that's the first time that they ever felt like reading was fun and exciting. So I picked up Amari and the Night Brothers because everyone was like, recommend this for people who like Harry Potter. (laughs) And I definitely see where the similarities are. But I was not expecting to like it that much because middle grade is kind of an eh genre for me. There are middle grade books that I enjoy. We've read some on the podcast. But it's just not, it's not written for people my age, right? And it's harder for me to relate to kid characters, I find. That was not the case with Amari and the Night Brothers. It was so refreshing to read a story in which a child feels like a child, but you can enjoy it as an adult, and it's wholesome family fun. And I think for me, the thing that I really latched onto is that this book feels like play. In the same way that those patrons looking for me for Harry Potter books, I think, might feel about that series, right? It's this idea of play and wanting to immerse yourself in a world and just pure delight and fun. Not to say that that's all this book has to offer, but I think that's one of the biggest, most radical, refreshing things to have and 
that that I get out of it as a reader. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I can definitely see this as a comp for Harry Potter, because I think that it's got that sense of magic. It's got the sense of the school setting, even though you're at a magical summer camp. It definitely, something that also struck me was that Amari feels like a kid, even as she's doing things that she shouldn't be. But I think a really refreshing part of this as well is that even when she's doing things that maybe she shouldn't be, she's doing more adult things because she's trying to solve this mystery. There are still adults involved. There are, you know, she's she's having to work around the adults who are setting up safety parameters and safety measures for her. And she gets them involved when it's necessary, you know, or when she can't avoid it otherwise. I think that for me, the thing that's really wonderful about this book is that Amari feels like a kid. But this book is very socially nuanced in so many ways, because, of course, we have a black main character who's grown up in poverty, who's been sucked into this magical world because her brother was in this magical world and while Amari feels like a kid the social issues that this book tackles don't feel like they've been dumbed down in any ways because the audience is middle grade and the main character is 12 and 13 years old it feels like very nuanced topics that are handled with a lot of sensitivity and care but the real world as we know all too well doesn't care if you're 12 or 13 and will throw adult shit at you and I think that Amari and the Night Brothers does the same thing and it's going to let readers especially middle grade readers tackle those really hard topics and really intense topics in a way that is hopefully safe because it's in a book and and helps to kind of grapple with all of that and see a way forward through that through Amari which I think is really one of the things that improves upon sort of that Harry Potter formula, right? It's all of the fun. It's all of the magic. It's actually got real world takes. Yes. And Harry Potter did too sometimes, but the takes weren't, if we dig really deep into them, the takes aren't, they're not super radical, you know? And this book, I think, well, I mean, well, maybe we'll talk about it. I want to I wanna take our syllabus questions and apply it to this book because I actually think we can get a very interesting discussion from that. So let's talk a little bit about Amari and the agency that she has both in the, what do they call it? The, the what's the regu- regular world? The, the non-magical world. I think it might be called the non-magical world versus the supernatural world. So yeah, Maggie, what agency does Amari have in both these different settings? I think in many ways Amari has the amount of agency that's appropriate to a 12-year-old girl, as strange as that sounds. And on top of that is, again, navigating the pressures of being a Black girl growing up in poverty in both of these scenarios and both of these spaces. Amari takes a lot of agency for herself by, I think, having a really good sense of something that takes a lot of people a long time to learn, which is which rules are here because they're actually important and which rules are more guidelines, right? Amari has a really strong sense of moral right and wrong. And I think a a sense of justice and and that kind of moral compass that really guides her decisions. So a way that Amari is able to take more agency for herself, I think, especially in the supernatural world, is by saying, I've been given this power, I've been mandated from powers above me that if I want to stay here, I need to do I need to do good with this. 
but they want me to do good within their rules and their guidelines. And I'm going to do good with this power based on my own moral compass, my own sense of right and wrong. And sometimes those things will align and sometimes they won't. So I think that that's a really powerful sense of agency that you don't often see with characters this age, but this is the age where you're starting to develop that sense of morals and that sense of right and wrong and figuring out for yourself that adults don't always have all of the answers and that a lot of rules are arbitrary. So there's so many ways in which that agency is portrayed throughout this novel. But I think for me, that was one of the things I really clung on to as really being one of the things with Amari's character that just takes this book a top notch above the rest. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes we have to gain our in our agency simply by evaluating our own value systems and finding some sort of inner strength, which I guess this book could all be just one big metaphor for. But Amari, to, to give listeners some background in case you haven't read the book, though you really should, and then come back and listen to us. Amari starts the book off as a scholarship student at a predominantly white school where she is getting bullied because she is a scholarship student, and there are racial microaggressions attached to that as well. And her brother is missing, and everyone, all of the police, every all the society, everyone in society seems to be telling her and her mother that her brother must have been involved with drugs or something unsavory. And they know her brother. Her brother is this hometown hero. He went to, he's a hero at the predominantly white school that Amari's now going to. He had some big important job, but they don't know what it is. And so they have no proof, just this inane sense of who this kid was as a person that kind of pulls through this belief that there must be something greater in this story, that there's something that they're missing about her brother's disappearance. And then she finds out that, oh, there's this whole other supernatural world, and apparently her brother was involved because he's such a gifted, talented person, and he's famous there as well, and he went missing because of this greater war going on in the supernatural world. But once Amara gets to the supernatural world, she is also marginalized because she's still 12 and this world is deeply hierarchical and certain people are not allowed to be in it. And if you have too much power and too much potential, you might be, you might be marginalized further. People are feeling threatened by that. And Amari, it turns out, has a lot of power and potential. She just does not know how to use it. So this entire book, and I'm reading the second book, so I imagine this entire series is kind of Amari grappling with that power and then also grappling with how she can for herself determine what is right and wrong, even though she's in this incredibly hierarchical structure, even though she's 12 and has a very little physical agency, although she ends up making it for herself because this is a fun fantasy series. And I think for me, as we were talking about, just to tie it back into the beginning a little bit, part of the wonderful things about that is that even though we're in this really fucked up world, there's still so much joy. It doesn't diminish. The supernatural world is so messed up, but it's still so joyful and there's so many silly aspects to it. And Amari still gets to discover that. And she likes learning about the supernatural world and being a part of it, even as she figures out that rules are there to restrict and oppress her and maybe others. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is a book where the prescription is really a mix of fun and joy 
and finding good friends and the people in the world who will support you because those people are out there, even when it feels like the odds are stacked against you. I think a hefty dash of hope. I think that so much of the dynamic between Amari and her mother is that Amari kind of feels like her mom has given up on Quentin and Amari never has. Amari feels deep in her bones that he's still out there somewhere. And then I think that the last part and the part where that gets into that aspect of social issues and nuance is that I think the last sort of part of the prescription here is resiliency. And every time Amari is so resilient in the face of oppression, you want to just give her a hug and be like, you shouldn't have to deal with this, right? I think that that is very much the point for especially non-Black readers who are who are reading it to be like, this is what millions of children all across the country are dealing with every single day. And I think that the way that the magical world is structured is a really brilliant portrayal of oppression because it's a mix of things like racial microaggressions continue while she's there. Different kinds of class hierarchy come in because Amari is also kind of ostracized because her family isn't really legacy magical. Her and Quentin have sort of popped up out of nowhere. And and the people who have had magic in their families for generations are really the most revered. All of these things kind of come into play where I think that it gives readers a lot to grapple with in terms of, again, that very tangible real world hierarchy, as well as some magical hierarchies that are wonderful metaphors that readers can grapple with that don't necessarily feel like, I don't know, I I just think that it's a really nice thing to do to kind of mix both both of those things together, especially in a middle grade novel. I I think that for, for young readers, it might increase the safety level of being able to grapple with all of these things. But the joy and the radical joy and the radical hope can't be understated. And the wonderful relationships that Amari builds with people like Elsie, her were dragon roommate, who's got her own things going on because she can't shift into a dragon and she's the last one and it's a whole thing. You know, things like that, I think, are, are so much of what makes this book so wonderful and so beautiful. And I think, too, an interesting aspect of the agency as well is that So many books that I think are written in the contemporary moment are still figuring out how to deal with social media as an aspect of the book. And social media is actually one of the ways in which Amari is able to find a lot of agency for herself because she's on it and she uses it and it becomes a tool that is kind of antagonistic towards her because she's getting these strange messages from people who clearly don't want her to be at the Supernatural Bureau. But she's also able to use it as a learning tool, as an outreach tool, as an empowerment tool. So I think that that's also one of the really wonderful things that this book does. It probably seems small, but that's a pet peeve I have in books is that social media is everywhere now. And I think it's really lovely to see in a in a novel the ways in which that social media is portrayed both as a tool for good and something that can be used in a negative and nefarious way. And how do you navigate those spaces? Yeah, I think another way in which, I mean, just to kind of go off of that idea of social media a little bit, another way in which Amari really create builds some agency for herself is finding her voice and then vocalizing it, which I guess we've kind of already talked about within her value system. But now because she is the first of her kind in a sort of way, because she's a magician to give everyone a background, and that's a big no-no at the Bureau, and she's a born magician... Because of all of that, her very presence and her thoughts and opinions, and then later what she will go on to share on social media, particularly within the second book, really stands as her big activism and her big agency. And I don't believe this has a third book yet, right? Am I wrong? 
No, the second book just came out a couple months ago. Okay. So if you continue on with the series, that that voice is that voice is important in helping her shape the world and then also helping her gain safety for herself, which I think when we look at the way social movements have been working lately, we can see that simply talking about things like capitalism, right? Like stating that on our podcast has a big important effect. The more that we see people protesting for black lives, right? The more likely we are to gain people onto the cause. So I do think that that is a really important aspect too. This this book does a really good job of showing kids and adults <laughs> how we can go about building that for ourselves, right? It goes through the investigation process when Amari does her research. So we see how research happens and we see her little scientific tools and formula. And then, you know, we also see how she can go about making change even as you know, a 12-year-old girl who does not have a ton of real-world power, even in the supernatural world. She's got magical power, but she doesn't have, on the surface, a lot of powers to change the rules because she's just a 12-year-old girl in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, you know, Amari's social media presence is really successful. You know, she gains millions of followers because she's daring to speak out about the injustice that she's facing. And I think, too, it's it's the whole thing about magicians in general is just so clever, right? Because it's not just that being a born magician is bad, it's illegal, right? So we're talking, so we're already kind of, I think, talking about that metaphor, that idea that is it even possible for a human being to be illegal in any sort of way? And the 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 message of the novel is, of course not. And as you continue in the series, that gets even more complicated, although we're only talking about the first one right now, so I shall restrain myself. And then on top of that, I think that Amari's place as a magician when they decide to let her stay is becomes such a powerful tool to talk about the ways in which marginalized people are forced to speak on behalf of their whole community all the time. You're forced to basically be a top citizen constantly, because if you're not, then you are somehow disparaging your entire race, everybody who, you know, shares your sexuality. Somehow you are speaking for everybody constantly, even though that is literally an impossible task and an impossible thing to do. And Amari is forced to to sort of act as this model minority in so many different ways to kind of prove that the Bureau is accepting of her and being more progressive. And Amari is able to take her social media platform and push back against all of those ideas of, of what the Bureau is trying to make her into and what she's trying and, and what she's trying to be, while also talking about the fact that she is just a person who is going to make her own decisions, that being born a magician doesn't make you inherently bad, and that expecting history to repeat itself in that way, because the whole reason that magicians are basically illegal is because a a bunch of years ago, you know, way back in history, hundreds of years ago, a bunch of magicians tried to destroy the world, basically. That's an oversimplification, but that's that's kind of what's, what's going down there. And she's just sitting here like, there's nothing inherent that you can be born with that makes you good or evil. It's all about the choices that you make. So I need to just sit here and make the right choices. And then, of course, that complicates this this idea of the fact that she's being asked to 
represent all magicians all the time and be perfect, basically, right? So she's just trying, I think, to humanize this experience of being a magician. She uses her social media platform to do it. And she largely has support from people, but then also events happen where the tide shifts, right? And she gets immense backlash. And of course, you know, with millions of followers, not everybody is always on board with her, right? She has to deal with the hate comments and the people who don't listen to her and, and feel as though she she shouldn't be there and she shouldn't exist and that she should have just kind of had her memory erased and been sent, shuttled back to the non-magical world. And I kind of lost the plot there, but I, I just think that all of that is one of the things that really makes this agency conversation, especially in how Amari is able to use her voice so wonderful because it's happening in a really age-appropriate way. But it carries, I think, all of the nuance of conversations that we're seeing happen constantly in the news, on social media, in our friend circles right now in 2023. I agree. I want to ask a question from our syllabus that I think deals a little bit more with some of the the parts of this novel that I'm having trouble unraveling and that feel a little bit more complicated to me that maybe I don't know if I like so much. So the question is, does the plot resolve via asserting hierarchy or subverting it? And this is complicated because Amari as a character just existing is subversive, is radical, right? But she is working for what is essentially a law enforcement agency of the supernatural world, and that is where she is succeeding, and she has to adhere to this hierarchy in ways that I think, at least later on, not, maybe not in this book, will go and test her, will test her value system and test her beliefs. So I guess, how do we, what do we think about Amari being so entrenched within this hierarchy and what do we think the book is doing or saying with that is is this what is it representing is it prescriptive is this a, a weakness that maybe where we don't agree with the book or or what is happening here Maggie I think that to me at the end of the day I think that this is a book about making radical change from within the system rather than a book that prescribes that you have to tear down the system and rebuild, if that makes sense. Amari is a very subversive character, but in many ways she's always working within the hierarchy of the world and trying to reshape how that works and how that looks. And I think that a lot of what Amari says is that we need to tear down the hierarchy within this structure, but that inherently some sort of structure is probably necessary in order to keep the supernatural world safe. I think that for me, part of what, because I, I also was like, oh yeah, she's working for a law enforcement agency. Like this is kind of strange, right? And I think that for me, part of what made that conversation specifically more nuanced is that the book also discusses the policing of this black child quite literally within this law enforcement agency and within this summer camp and really, I think, dives into the impacts that has on kids in schools. So I think for me, that complicated the conversation enough where I was like, okay, I can see where this is going here. But I think at the end of the day, in terms of agreeing or disagreeing with it, I think it's about whether 
we agree or disagree with the idea that we need to completely tear down everything and rebuild to get rid of hierarchy or if there is reform that can happen from working within the system. But I think that books like this and books that talk about reform within the system are necessary because I don't know that we're at the place right now where we're ready or are going to be able, you know, tomorrow to tear down the entire system unless a lot of people get really cool with a lot of things real fast. So I think that that's kind of where I come out on it. Whether I agree or disagree with it, I I think is like a bigger question that I'm grappling with every single day as I try and figure out what it will will really take to build the world that I think would be truly equitable for everybody. But that's, I think, sort of my take on that larger question. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see that question. I wonder if we'll see the system getting torn down in later books in the series. But yeah, at least this first book is all about working within the system. But as you were talking, I was also reflecting based off of what you were saying. And I think like a lot of the books that we've explored this season, Amari and the Night Brothers does a really good thing. Good Amari and the Night Brothers is really good at humanizing your villains. In this first book at least, because I, I haven't finished the second, so I don't know yet. <laughs> All of the villains, even though they're doing some really awful things, right, have the capacity for goodness, or you can kind of see their perspective. You can see in the ways in which the society has marginalized them. And yes, because it's a true fantasy novel, there is kind of a good and evil element, but it's not as, I don't think, especially because Amari is born as a magician, and that is the big baddie villains, I think that we do get to see some gray within there. And one of the ways the book resolves, now I'm going to spoil it for all of you, right before the big, big resolution, Amari has a moment where she is explaining to all of these big higher-ups in the supernatural world what it's like to be a 12-year-old girl who has all of this power. And she's really humanizing and dispelling myths left and right. And she doesn't convince everyone. But that in of itself is her radical power, is being like, this is who I am, and I am not a bad guy. I'm just a 12-year-old girl, and I'm trying to make the world a better place. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it still feels complicated to me, because part part of my inclination, at least, in this podcast is to relate what we're reading back to 2023. And there's just so much in 2023, even though I love life and it's magical and I'm odd all the time, that feels like, oh, I don't think we can ever get rid of this unless we tear something down. But it it doesn't, I guess I still get a lot out of this book, so I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see if the, the series continues and things get torn down. I think I want that to happen. I'm ready. I'm ready for the villain era, Amari. Because we all need a villain era. It needs to happen sometimes before we can get to our Queen of Wands era. And I will not be explaining or elaborating. I think that... Okay, so I finished Amari in the Great Game. And I will say, I think that the second book by the end complicates all of these things. And I think that regardless of the trajectory of the series, one has to 
completely understand the system that they're working within, even if they decide that it needs to be torn down in order to ensure that they're building it back better. So I think that there is a level at which that like part of the reason that Amari's working within the system so much in the first book is because she has no fucking idea what it means to be a magician, right? She doesn't know what the structures are in this book. She's learning about how these different oppressions play in. I think that's also part of the reason why she faces marginalizations in the magical world that she doesn't in the non-magical world because I think it shows that she's having to learn and navigate these new structures and that her understanding of the non-magical world is going to inform her understanding of what needs to change in the magical world but she needs to learn about its nuances and its structures before she can really be prescriptive about what needs to change or what should change if that makes sense so that is something that I appreciate about the novel because I think that sometimes with structures in society it's easy to look at it from the outside and be like wholesale we need to tear this down and probably that is what does need to happen but I think in order to actually build back in a better way, you need to really understand all of the things that were wrong with that initial structure, right? And we now are entirely ingrained in, in, in our own cultures and our own societies. And we can see from the outside looking in kind of what those structures look like. But I think sometimes we also take for granted that maybe we understand the nuances of things just because we've been living in the world for however many amount of years. And coming to things with a fresh perspective and a fresh understanding, I think can only enhance work that is trying to make the world a better place because it assumes that we don't have all of the answers. That's me snapping. I agree. Let's always be lifelong learners, as they say <laughs> in education world. Let me just take a look at the syllabus because we're, we're rounded on- Being a librarian has changed you. <laughs> has it really? Am I more corny? I, I said something really corny to an intern the other day and they were like- it's okay. My mom does that too. And I was like, I am 10 years older than you. <laughs> I am dying. <laughs> I am aging okay. on the spot. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Sorry for that little interlude, folks. What can we take from this? Okay. Yes. Well, we've kind of already, we've kind of already talked about this, but I just kind of want to do it in a nice little ritualistic way because I'm all about the self-growth and meditation these days. Maggie, what can we take from this book into our own lives? Can, can I start? Nod one. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm sorry. I'm going to take the joy. I'm taking the joy in, from this book. I just, you know, I went to work yesterday. I had, and my coworkers were very nice to have this conversation with me. I'm, I'm going to share it with you listeners, even though this is a big interlude, but I'll round back around quickly. I promise, Maggie. Okay. So I went to work the other day and I'm talking to my coworkers and they're both black women. And I'm like, you guys, what would you do if your kid had a racist teacher? Because this was a question that I had encountered and I didn't know how to react. Somewhere in my work, Somebody had talked about this and I was like, I don't know how to help, right? And so we had this great discussion that talked about race in general and what we would do. And, you know, it was, it was hard because it was, I still feel, <laughs> I still feel a little powerless. Like, yeah, it's great we're having this discussion, but at the end of the day, we kind of know that we, we all agree on these things, right? To a certain extent, we have different life experiences, but this was something that we all agreed with. And the people that we're trying to reach sometimes just don't want to listen. And then we are like, how do we do this thing? I don't know. This stuff is really difficult. There's so many things that you have to talk about and think about and understand the nuance to when you're taking action. 
So yeah, it made us a little bit sad. But then a couple of hours later, we were planning this big event for this this party that we're throwing for teenagers in my neighborhood. And this is something I think everyone in the library is really excited about because it feels like a big, important change, right? It's important to us that it's important to everyone I've talked to that we give the kids somewhere safe to go, right? And it's cool to us that they're going to go here and they're going to be like, semi-supervised by adults and they're going to have a fun place to play video games and that they're going to see the library as a spot that they can go and hang out at. So we're throwing this big party and a couple of hours later, those women I was having the conversation with, we all hopped in a car, went to Five Below, which is where their favorite shopping mall is, and bought essentially a bunch of toys for this party. And it was just a really joyful experience. And one of my coworkers, who's really funny, kept on being like, and Harmony's just, and this is fun, and this is fun. It was, we left feeling very giddy, and like we had all shared something, even though we don't really hang out outside of work. You know, and it's moments like that. So this book is reminding me to play more, And that I can still keep doing this work and that having the difficult conversations and understanding these nuances are a part of doing the work. And I might not always have the answer, but I can do all that, all that really heavy, sad grappling and find joy. And I think that that is going to combine somehow and lead to a better liberation. I don't know how yet, but those are my very messy thoughts about what I'm taking with me. Okay, Maggie, I'm sorry I took up the four minutes. You go. No, you're fine. That was a great little anecdote. I I think that I was actually initially going to share something similar, so I'll go a different route, which is that I think that because middle grade is something that I don't connect with very often, I end up not reading it very often. And I think that this was a really wonderful reminder that books for people of all ages can have a really big impact on you and can really change the way that you see the world. And kind of not to just write off something because it doesn't feel like it's for me. And I think that on top of that, right, I work with kids in in actually kind of a similar way that Harmony does very often, just in a different field and in a different sector. And I think that this is just one of those things that's such a powerful reminder of really interrogating and making sure that the way that I interact with these children gives them all of the agency of a full human. There's always safety measures and safety parameters that need to be put in place because you don't want anybody to, you know, be injured or be, you know, physically, emotionally or mentally hurt by what's happening. But kids are fully formed humans, even as they're still learning and still creating their own opinions and figuring things out for themselves. And really, I think just making sure that all of the programming and and interactions that I have with kids center their humanness first and the fact that they're a kid afterwards, because everything they do in life centers the fact that they're a kid first and a human second. And that's something that I try and really evaluate for myself often. But I think that this book just gave me different perspective and different light in thinking about that. This is so beautiful. Okay, okay. All right, I think that offers, does this book offer any prescriptions for operating the larger world? So I think I think we can wrap up. Is there anything else you want to say to the people, Maggie? I would just say that this book, I think, is really worth a read. Like Harmony said, the audiobook is really fantastic. And I will say, I think that Amari and the Great Game, the sequel to this, is also a really fantastic and fabulous sequel that takes the book in kind of some unexpected places. And I'm really excited to see where the world goes next. Me too. I'm so excited I can recommend this to people now. Okay. I hope you're all living very joyful lives. 
I'm corny now. Welcome. (laughs) What are you reading, Maggie? I'm actually kind of between books at the moment, but I've been slowly making my way through Mary Oliver's devotions. So I guess that's what I will share. Oh my goodness. Okay. Wow. Very nice. Very gothic. Wait, no. Who is Mary Oliver? Mary Oliver was one of the foremost poets for, oh God, decades and decades in the US and she died in 2019. But what she did before she died was she created a collection of all of her poetry that she felt was sort of the best work over her entire career over her entire career. But she's really famous for that poem about wild geese. And she's just very much a poet who I think explores the overlap between the natural and spiritual world. Is the wild geese, did I send you the goose meditation from that favorite podcast of mine? Okay, Maggie is nodding for the folks at home. So yes, okay, I am familiar with the wild geese. This is very cool. I we should We should maybe talk about this on the podcast someday. I'm putting it out there. I am reading... <laughs> just to speed this along. I am reading Amari in The Great Game. Very nice. Next week, friends, we will be coming to you with an episode on the Kiss Quotient by Helen Wong for Valentine's Day. So be on the lookout for that. Yay! Is that all, folks? That's all, folks. Goodbye! Bye! Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash rgbc and clicking the support this podcast button our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website rebelgirlsbook.club and clicking read along with the show you can follow us at rgbc pod on instagram at rebel girls book club on facebook at rebel girls book one on twitter And you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.